0: Amen and amen. Well, tonight we have the privilege of celebrating Good Friday. And the moment we use the word celebrate and then we follow it with Good Friday and the meaning of it, it it is almost an oxymoron. It seems like we can't use those two words together. And yet, if there's no death, if there's no burial, then there can't be a resurrection. And so very often the church almost leaps from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, and we forget the price that was paid. We forget the price of our grace, and we sang an updated version of that amazing hymn that was Penned so many, many years ago, nearly 200 years ago, by John Newton, "Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound." That was written by the captain of a former slave ship, a man who had turned his life over to Jesus at a pivotal time in his life, had realized the destitute nature of his own life when realizing what he had engaged in what he had done he became one of the staunchest abolitionists that the world's ever known joined with John Wilberforce and actually managed to bring about the abolition of the slave trade in England he came to faith in Christ when the ship that he was on approached the coast of Scotland at Donegal the ship began to take on water the crew cried out there's no chance. We're going down. We're all going to die. And John Newton, operating a manual bilge pump down in the bowels of the ship trying to keep it from going down. God, if this is your will, so be it. If it's not, then save me. The Lord saved him. And the following day, he wrote, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's his grace that saved us. And it's the cross that was the purchase price of our redemption. Well, we are taking tonight of communion. We'll spend most of our time in the 27th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, but before we get there in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it says to us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Not only did Jesus come for the Father's plan, but he cried out from the cross, it is finished. He took care of my debt. He paid the price for my sin at Calvary's cross. And it goes on to say, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, before us are the elements of communion and when We pass those out. Tonight's message really explains in great detail the substance and the reason for that broken bread and for that blood bread cup. You see, the price of our grace was high. It cost God the Father his only Son. And it cost Jesus, our Savior, his life. And that occurred at the cross. Matthew 27 records those events of that day. And we'll take a journey of grace tonight. And as we take that journey of grace, it is amazing grace. And there is no sweeter sound than the grace of God that's been poured out in our lives. Because if it were works... We're all in trouble. If we have to earn it, many of us, in fact, all of us, couldn't. If we had to pay for it, we'd all fall short. Grace is God's free gift to us, and it's represented in the amazing story of Good Friday. the elements that will receive, the sinless Lamb of God, seen as such before the foundation of the world was ever laid, his sinless body, broken for me, beaten for me, bruised for me, put to death for me, his blood shed, that my blood wouldn't have to be shed. Would you pray with me? Tonight, Father God, we come to a solemn time. Lord, a time that we honor what our Savior Jesus did in the final hours of his life here on this earth. His mortal life, his earthly life. We know the end of the story. We know the wonder of Easter morning. But tonight... We ask that you'd help us to focus on the price of our grace. We love you. We thank you, Jesus, for what you did. Pray that you would speak now by your Holy Spirit that we might know exactly what it cost. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. You see, God's only son paid the price for us. And as we begin that narrative, it's interesting to me that, you know, so very often we cry out in our world for justice. We see it all over our country, even tonight, the cries of injustice, people wrongly trialed and there's a reason for us to cry. There's a reason for us to desire justice in all things. But there's never been an injustice like the injustice that was done to Jesus. From 2 o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock in the morning, all during the nighttime hours, Jesus was tried illegally six times. Three of them religious. The people who should have had the most grace and mercy pronounced him worthy of death. Three of them civil. He was bounced back and forth religiously between Annas And Caiaphas, the reigning high priest, the former high priest. And each one of them, for nothing more than preaching the gospel of the kingdom, did they ultimately say, he's got to die. And for the Romans, first to Pilate, then back to Herod, and then back to Pilate, and each time, not guilty not guilty, not guilty. And yet the weight of the death penalty rested in the hands of the Romans. And so argumentative were the people that when offered Jesus as a way for the Roman government to show mercy, they cried out, Give us Barabbas, a real murderer, a real criminal. I see, so you keep the innocent Jesus. You give us the murderer. And I would say to you, the world is still making that kind of a sad mistake today. The world still follows after the Barabbas. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7 A picture there of the innocence of Jesus. Now remember that the book of Isaiah, written by the prophet Isaiah in about 586 B.C. That's one of the common scrolls, found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So we know that the book of Isaiah was in circulation. We have copies of it that are older than the birth date of Jesus. The oldest copy we have was dated by secular archaeologists to 212 B.C., So these words were absolutely penned before Jesus went to the cross. Verse 7 of Isaiah 53, where he was oppressed, and he was afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. Can you imagine, because Jesus was fully God and fully man, can you imagine the defense that Jesus could have mounted for his case when he's standing before Annas and Caiaphas Pilate and Herod. Can you imagine the argument he could have made for his own innocence? Can you think of some of the things that he might have been able to say? Uh, Pilate, I created you. He could have run down everything that Pilate had ever done in his entire life, line by line, detail by detail. He could have looked Annas in the eye and said, oh, you claim to be holy, but do you remember when And enlisted every sin that he'd ever committed? Those that were screaming from the crowd, he could have looked into the back of the crowd and said, you, come up here. Why don't you share with everybody where you were last night? That wasn't your husband, was it? That wasn't your wife. But Jesus said nothing in his own defense. He could have. Instead, he took the outcry of the people upon himself like a lamb, Isaiah 53, 7 says, led to the slaughter like a sheep that's silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. You, You see, Jesus was completely innocent. Never. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That's what happened at the cross. An innocent man condemned because I was guilty. Because you're guilty. So blatantly powerful was that innocence that you remember what happened to Judas? The one who for 30 pieces of silver... Sold Jesus into treachery with a kiss. So powerful was the innocence of Jesus that upon hearing the verdict, Judas went out and hung himself. He couldn't take it. He knew that Jesus was innocent. Jesus was, in fact, the Lamb of God. Do you remember as John the Baptizer was standing in the river and when Jesus came, Do you remember what he said about Jesus? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you know why he said that? He was referring to the scapegoat. He was referring to that animal that the high priest On Yom Kippur, the high priest would slaughter one priest, and half would go to the priest, and half would go to the Lord. It would be burnt up in an offering. But there was another animal, that animal. The high priest would lay his hands on the head of the animal and would confess the sins of the nation Israel. And then that animal would wander away into the wilderness, never ever to be seen again. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away your sins as far as the east is from the west. They are buried in the depths of the sea so that God remembers them not. Jesus was innocent as the Lamb was innocent. A Lamb had done nothing, just born a Lamb. You see, that animal would be sent away, Jesus, Jesus would be sent away for the first time from his father. The next thing that we would see in this trial was the scourging of Jesus. Now to put that into perspective, both the scourging and the crucifixion were so violent and so heinous that Romans could not be scourged themselves. Romans could not be crucified themselves. It was reserved for the worst of those on this earth who were not Roman. And yet it was their torture. And there was Jesus, innocent, And when you begin to receive the elements of communion, as you hold that matzah in your hand, you hold that unleavened bread in your hand, you hold the bread of Passover in your hand. As you hold it in your hand, look at it. It is both pierced and bruised. It signifies the mark. that you're going to one day see when Jesus opens his hands to greet you. Those scars will still be there. In fact, Scripture says, See, I have imprinted you on the palms of my hands. But Jesus will be taken to the courtyard of Pilate. The north side of the city of Jerusalem stands the Antonio Fortress. In the center of that courtyard, a single post. And to that post, the prisoner would be bent down to his knees stripped from his neck down to his waist, and then a flagellum, short handle with long leather lashes, and in those lashes tied bits of glass and bone, pieces of lead shot. As the Praetorian guard would usually get that task, With every lash more of the body was torn away. Mind-boggling. Most people survived about ten lashes. Jesus was issued forty, but they always went to thirty-nine. So Jesus is now as Isaiah would say, so marred that he could not be discerned as even being human. His likeness would be so destroyed from the flogging. And the purpose normally was to get someone to confess. Jesus had nothing to confess, so he was silent. As Jesus began to bleed and no doubt suffer through the pain of all of that, you would think that would be enough. But there they would begin to prepare him for the crucifixion. And when the Romans began to use crucifixion, it had been in practice for quite some time. It was invented by the... Persians, passed along to the Phoenicians. Phoenicians rather perfected, it. the Romans took it up as a matter of capital punishment. Again, it was so painful that Romans didn't use it on their own citizens. And while I'm not trying to make a case for or against capital punishment, in our day and time, We have arguments over which sedative we're supposed to be injecting first so that someone is asleep before they pass away. Jesus was just beaten to a bloody pulp, enough to kill him, but he's still alive. And now they're going to crucify him. Now he'll be nailed to that cross. And he would suffer immense agony. Why? It's the price of grace. You see, we forget sometimes that Good Friday is when the price was paid for the grace that we have received as a free gift. That's what was going on. But it didn't end really with the preparation for his crucifixion, as bad as that was. so many component parts, and we often miss it, the emotional suffering. Don't forget for a moment that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. We talk about our emotional suffering, the things that we go through, the things it's hard for us to reconcile and wrap our minds around, the injustices that each of us have suffered in this life. Imagine that you're the sinless son of God and the 12 people that you've invested all of your time and effort and energy into have abandoned you. Imagine that you can't find a single friend in all of Jerusalem Imagine that people are screaming and yelling at you. And in fact, the people in the crowd are saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. Give us anybody but him. You see the emotional suffering. Jesus was so diminished and degraded that the Roman soldiers actually took a Praetorian guard's uniform, which is a, a scarlet robe, went down to about the knees. It was held in place by a belt. And they took Jesus' own clothes off of him and they put a scarlet robe on him and they began to bow down saying, Hail, King of the Jews! A man who's nearly dead already and they're mocking him. And if that weren't enough, they went on, after they took his clothes off, we've sanitized the cross in our modern world because it wouldn't be appropriate to show a, a, a naked Messiah. But it's very likely that Jesus hung on the cross naked. That was normally the way a crucifixion was done. It was meant to humiliate beyond anything you can imagine. And so they've taken Jesus' clothes. They've put a robe on him. They've beat a crown of thorns onto his head with a rod. Hail, King of the Jews. You look great in the short little robe there. And oh, by the way, we're going to take that from you. And they began to spit on him. They plucked his beard. They put a bag over his head. And punched him in the face. Played a game with him. With his eyes swollen shut. Who punched you? Why don't you tell us if you're the son of God? And all the time. Jesus suffering. Immense emotional pain. Total abandonment. You see, after they'd mocked him, they led him away. And again, back to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah fifty-three twelve. And therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured himself out unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for those transgressors. You see, the passers-by were hurling abuse, and Jesus was saying, I'll take care of that. I'll take his sin, I'll take her sin. Hurl the insults, I'm going to go to the cross. The price of grace, immense emotional suffering by Jesus. They weren't bad enough, they said, if you're the son of God, do you remember when he was hanging on the cross? If you're the son of God, why don't you take yourself down from there? Look, he's crying out to Elijah. You see, you ever wonder what it cost? You see, grace has come to you, to me, as a free gift. It comes by faith. And even the faith is given to us to believe. But it was unbelievably costly. More than we can really imagine. And I think the most striking thing for me is the spiritual suffering of Jesus. I want you to bear in mind that Jesus suffered physically, Jesus Jesus suffered emotionally, in other words, in his mind, who he was as a person, and he suffered spiritually in all three ways that you are a human being. You're three parts. You have a mind, you have emotions, you have a physical body, and you have a spirit. Jesus was tested in every single one of those ways as he was being put to death. And I think this one strikes me the hardest. I'm a father and I have two sons. And as I read what happened to Jesus as he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabakhtane, Dad. Father, why have you turned your back on me? The reason is you. The reason is me. The weight of my sin. For the first time in all of eternity, the fellowship between God the Father and God the Son broken. While the weight of all of the sins cumulative of all of mankind are placed upon Jesus, he became the sin bearer. My son Brandon was two and a half years old. He fell out of a window, landed on his head on concrete. I rode with him to the hospital in the ambulance. The doctors told us if he lives, he's going to need extensive neurological care. And I remember laying on the hospital room floor, crying out to God God, take me, but don't take my son. Don't leave my wife without her boy. I can't imagine what was going through the heart and the mind of Jesus as a son and Father God while the weight of my sin was placed on his innocent son. I would have done anything because we were separated. He was unconscious. He couldn't communicate. I couldn't speak to him. Now multiply in matters of infinity the depth of the pain of the spiritual separation between Jesus, God's Son, and God the Father. As everything that you've ever done, and every other person that's ever walked the face of this earth, that is in disagreement with the holiness of God, every one of those things was placed on Jesus. Jesus. And God the Father couldn't look at His Son because of me. I don't know how God did it. I'll never know how God did that. How He he could have, even for that period of time, and at the end of it, you remember what happened from the top to the bottom that veil of separation that stood in the temple was torn. But Jesus, our sin bearer, was paying the emotional price, the spiritual price of what I've done. That grace cost God his son. And it cost Jesus his life. Again, we turn our attention to Isaiah 53. Matthew's gospel continues this picture. And Jesus cried out those, those very words, Eloi, Eloi. Lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There in verse 46. It actually, comes from the twenty-second Psalm. David saw that a thousand years earlier. But in the fourth verse of Isaiah fifty-three, surely he himself has borne our griefs, our sorrows. He has carried, and yet we ourselves have seemed him as stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. That is exactly what the people did to Jesus that day. As Jesus was hanging on the cross, people were mocking him, shaking their heads at him, wagging their tongues like ah. some Messiah. All the time, Jesus bearing your sin and mine. He was pierced through for our transgressions; he was crushed for our iniquities, not for his, for yours, for mine, for ours. By his scourging, we were healed. For all of us like sheep have gone astray. You see at that moment of separation, the weight of our sin placed on Jesus was sufficient for God the Father to say, I can't look. I can't see this. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. It's what Jesus was doing. We asked the question, why? And it goes on there to say, but it pleased the Lord. Hard to imagine, hard to fathom that this whole scene could be pleasing somehow to God. And yet, because of your spiritual condition and mine, Because of the desperate need of mankind. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? All of us. All of us. Because we had a debt that we could not ourselves pay. We needed a sin bearer to take care of that. And that sin bearer had to be sinless himself. And you remember the picture from... Abraham and Isaac. The Lord shall supply himself a lamb. Where's the sacrifice? It was Jesus. Don't harm the boy. Because that won't fix it. Because he's sinless. Only if I make him so. Jesus cried out in a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. As you read the the account there in Matthew 27, nobody took Jesus' life. It wasn't a, a Roman executioner who finally did the job. Jesus yielded up his spirit. He came to die. That's why he came in the first place. That's why the disciples were so mesmerized. That's why in the week leading up, you remember as they rode into town and the people are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're all thinking, this is kind of crazy. He just got through telling us he's going to give up his life. He's talking about us drinking a cup that only he can drink and we can't drink it. said, because we couldn't take care of our own problem. As David said, we were conceived, we were born in iniquity. Every human being is. You see, Pilate conceded to the religious customs of the Jewish people. And he allowed Jesus' body, after he had yielded up his spirit, to be placed in the tomb. We'll pick up the rest of the story on Sunday morning. But there was a cost. I'm going to ask the communion team to begin to pass out the elements of communion. There was a cost. There was a price paid for our grace. There was an emotional cost. There was a spiritual cost. There was a physical cost. There was a cost that God himself paid. There was a cost that Jesus paid. And the whole thing is pictured in the elements of communion. You're going to receive first the bread, and please hold that, and then we'll pass out the cup. And while you're holding that bread, there were a lot of different responses that day. Perhaps tonight, there are going to be many different responses to the price of our grace. You see, for some, that day, those six hours, that one Friday, 2,000 years ago, for some, it was amusement. Hard to imagine. They seem to somehow get a thrill out of an innocent man being beaten, mocked, scourged, harmed, crucified, ultimately murdered. I pray there's no one in here tonight. As the Apostle Paul spoke in the 11th chapter of the first letter to the church at Corinth, he reminded us, and you now know why he reminded us, to be careful and to not partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner because it's serious business. What we celebrate on Good Friday, what we celebrate every time we come to the Lord's table is his body broken for me and his blood spilled for me to pay the price so that I might be freed from the debt of my own sin. Because as it says in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And that remains. But that shed blood has to be innocent blood. So it can't be any other human. It had to be God's son. And so tonight, if you're here and you're joined with us, and you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, before we partake of communion, I want to encourage you to simply ask him to forgive your sin, to come into your life, to be Lord of your life, and to help you walk in victory for the rest of your days. But as you received those elements, some people were afraid. They wondered what was going to happen. And I pray there's no one here tonight that's afraid. That night there was an earthquake. That day there were dark clouds that hung over Jerusalem. But his broken, bruised, and pierced body Perfect love casts out all fear. We need not be afraid because of what Jesus did on Good Friday. Some were compassionate. Some people were genuinely saddened. And there are some tonight, maybe you're genuinely sad. I know at times, I had a tough time holding it together in our first service at noon. It just struck me what Christ did for me, and I don't know how many times—I couldn't begin to tell you how many times I've participated in communion or how many Good Friday messages. I don't know. It's hundreds, but I was struck by what Jesus did for me, and I started thinking of my Savior. And oh, how he must love me. Some had compassion. Some were amazed as that curtain was torn. They, they began to wonder how could that happen? That veil in the temple, some six inches thick. Multiple layers of fabric. A single piece. So impenetrable was that curtain that the high priest before he would go in to offer up prayers for the nation Israel would pray for himself and offer up for his own family and just in case he missed something. There were bells on the hem of his garment And if they stopped jingling, then the scarlet cord that was around his ankle that went back into the holy place, someone could grab that cord and retrieve him without entering the presence. So holy was God that for all of the children of Israel, one person one day of the year on the Day of Atonement could enter in and offer up that sacrifice. Can you imagine... What happened when that veil was torn and they could look in to where the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God rested freely, no fear. And then there's our response tonight your response. You see, we know that Sunday's coming. But what's your response tonight to the price that was paid for the grace that you so freely received? For God's unmerited favor poured out upon us as his kids. You see, I I deserve to die. I still deserve to die. Anything that I would have coming to me, I, I deserve it. What I don't deserve is His grace. I can't merit His grace. And if that weren't enough, not only have I received His grace, but have also received His mercy because of the cross. In grace, He's given me what I do not deserve and cannot earn. And in mercy, He has not given me what I have deserved and did earn. What I did earn. Was well, an eternity separated from God. That's what I earned. But because of the cross, I get eternity instead with Jesus. The price of our grace, family. Jesus died that we could freely enter into his presence, that we could come, that we could be forgiven, that we could be. Cleaned up. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's not keeping track of all the junk that you've ever done in heaven, someplace it's not remembered because of what price was paid for your grace. Because of Jesus' body that was broken, because of the bruises that He sustained. Because of that crown of thorns, because of that rod taken to his face, because of what he did for you, you'll never taste your own punishment. Can't imagine. You see, the price of grace is extreme. That God would die for man. That's what Good Friday is all about. When Jesus cried out from the cross to tell us die, he said, "It is finished." He didn't say, "I am finished." He said, "It is finished. It's done. The debt is paid. Grace is available. All you need to do is invite him in. And he'll come. We're going to pray for the elements of communion. And if you're here tonight. And you don't know him. He paid the price for your sins. It's done. All you have to do is receive it. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads close your eyes and if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord you want to know him you want to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior just slip your hand up can see all over the sanctuary raise your hand I see those hands all over the sanctuary just keep them up for a moment don't deny him because if you will speak his name He'll speak your name before the Father. Thank you. Go ahead and put your hands down. Those of you that raise your hands, just pray after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life. I ask you to take away my sin. I'm a sinner. I ask you to cleanse my sin. I ask you to write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. I promise to serve you all of my days. I want to walk with you the rest of my life. I receive the gift of grace. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.